0: host of this show, Max Nast, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to fearless happiness 19.7 million american adults have battled a substance use disorder 38 percent of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder but no matter what the struggle no matter the challenge you can overcome anything and become successful Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naste.
1: Morning, everybody. This is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast coming to you from Fallbrook, California. It's kind of a semi-sunny, cloudy day. Beautiful day, though. Great day to be alive. Today I have a very, very special guest. Rabbi Manus Friedman is joining us today, who's going to share his story with us. So what I like to do, Rabbi Friedman, is have you introduce yourself and exactly who you are and what you do, and then we're going to start.
2: All right. That's not too hard. I thought this would be challenging.
3: (laughs) (laughs) you got to be fearless. That's right. So I grew up in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, which is the
2: center of Chabad, Hasidic life. And as a teenager, it really uh, challenged me, it really was exciting because it had this, this crazy notion we are going to make the world better (laughs) how's that for a nutty idea (laughs) this was right after the war people were not in a good optimistic mood of course they we felt good that we won the war the tragedies the loss of life it was for jewish people it was obviously one of the darkest chapters in our history Recovering from a Holocaust was not going to be easy, right. if, if even possible. So the mood was pretty somber, to put it mildly. Except in this neighborhood, there was so much enthusiasm, there was so much life and optimism. Now we're not going to recover. We're going to change the world. That is crazy. And, of course, the crazier it is, the more exciting it is for a teenager. I couldn't wait to finish school so that I could go out there and do the things that Chabad people do. You get married and you move to a community and you commit yourself to that community. Whatever the community needs, whatever you can contribute, whatever you can add, all all my classmates all felt that same challenge and that same excitement and so on. So going from a shy, timid kid to becoming a teacher, advisor, any form of active, proactive activity was foreign. I was very introverted, but it was so exciting. And once you get started, you can't stop. So it turns out, which I, I really didn't know at the time, it turns out that the essence of life is purpose. The most important principle, the most important ingredient in life is purpose, not love. Hollywood makes, wants to convince us that it's love. We can live without love. You cannot live without purpose. Can't wake up in the morning without purpose. Now, sometimes the love of your life becomes your purpose. Right, I can understand that. Yeah. But it's the purpose that keeps you alive, not the love. Now, if you find purpose in life, if you wake up in the morning with a sense of a mission, life makes sense. Without that, life doesn't make sense. Because purpose and sense are very closely related. Right. So like if you're doing something for no purpose, it makes no sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brian, and I've been there in my lifetime. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I so agree with you because I've been at both sides of that spectrum, right? Where in my addiction, I had no purpose, right? So like waking up and trying to do something during the day was just like you said, senseless because I had no sense of purpose. I had no drive, no grit, nothing. But when I got sober and then I found what my purpose is, like waking up every day is exciting because instead of being fearful of any challenges that have come my way, I look at it like okay, like you said, okay, I'm gonna change the world today. Even if it's for my world of my family, I'm gonna do something to make their life better. So thank you for sharing that. I've never heard that, but that totally makes sense.
3: I spoke about it to a group of inmates.
2: And a federal penitentiary their reaction was so amazing it was so it makes it all worthwhile you know what i mean like
1: absolutely wow
2: because sitting there in jail for 30 40
3: 50 years you figure your life is worthless what's
2: the point can't go anywhere can not do anything and and i'm telling them that It's not where you go and it's not what you do. It's the purpose. And in prison, there's so many opportunities. Yes. To do something right, to do something good, to be. Anyway, they got so excited about it. And then later I found out that the biggest benefit of the whole thing was for those who were being released after 32 years, the guy was not looking forward. He wasn't sure he could handle being out. But now he was going out with a mission. All of a sudden he was looking forward. It wasn't frightening. So here's how it works. There's a certain chamber in the brain and in the heart that is designed for purpose. That's its place. That's its chamber. That's where it belongs. If you don't fill it with purpose, something is going to have to fill it. And that something is probably not a healthy thing.
1: Yeah, I learned that. Uh, so instead of hard instead way, of
2: okay. instead of blaming the bad news, blame the emptiness. You, you, you left your house empty. Somebody moved in. What did you expect? Right. So if you don't fill that space, it doesn't close mm-hmm. up. And it doesn't go away. It'll get filled with stuff you don't want. So it turns out, and this is a very practical way of saying it, it turns out that we are much, much more concerned and much more needy of purpose than we are of love, which means I'd much rather be needed than loved. And what's happening with people all over the world. Everyone is being told that they are loved. We love you. Love yourself. Love. love. But we don't really need you.
1: Yeah, right? I, I get that.
2: So you're the not, news. Yeah, you're not necessary, but if you're cute, somebody will love you. And isn't that great? No, it's not. No. It's kind of
1: empty if you think about it.
2: It's not fitting for a human being. If you're a gerbil, nobody needs you. Except other gerbils, maybe. But (laughs) nobody needs you. But you're so cute and fluffy and, and furry that people will love you. So to love someone you don't need is like having a pet. And a human being is not designed to be
3: someone's pet. So we need to be needed
2: far more than we need to be loved. And once I realized that, I came to a second interesting conclusion.
3: If what I need most is to be
2: needed, what about all my other needs? If I am designed to be needed, then I don't really have any needs. It's a myth. What what we do is we take the creator's need for us and we plagiarize it. I need to live. I need to produce. I need to succeed. No, I don't. I'm only here because I'm needed. I'm not here because of my needs. And without sounding suicidal, (laughs) (laughs) when we really think about it, I don't need any of this. I don't need love. I don't need money because I don't need to live. I don't need to live, really. I mean, I like it. I'm fine. I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not depressed. <laughs> but I don't need this, any of it. People who are never born don't complain. Never hear a complaint from them.
1: <laughs> True. That's a true statement.
2: Because we don't need to be born. Ten-year-olds are saying this now to their parents. What do you mean I have to clean up my room? I didn't ask to be born. (laughs) True. And it is true. The kid is not depressed. The kid's smart. Right. (laughs) And what the parents should say, we didn't ask to be born either. Right? So don't blame me. This is so futuristic. You're making psychologically
1: me, yeah, I, I'm thinking like, okay, i don't I don't need to do this, but I need to be needed is what you're saying. That's what keeps me, as I like to say, from my learn from my friend, in purpose, on purpose, when I feel like I'm needed, that's what fuels my motivation and my fire. Does that make sense, Rabbi Freeman?
2: Exactly right, but it's true of everybody. Correct. Correct. It's not a special needs.
1: You know. right. No, I understand that, but that's what, I think it's that what you teach, correct, to show people that everybody is needed. You know, I mean, we think about it, everybody is needed on this earth to help, love, and support each other, right? Not because love is first right is cuz we're needed and when we're needed for instance that's why i think my wife and i have such a great relationship not that we have to have each other but we need each other and we communicate that and you know what i mean and it's made for a great relationship so far yes we have our moments but in the end i know i'm needed by her and vice versa and and that brings us together and you know like you said there's some crazy stuff going on in the world and I, and i wish People would understand that we need each other to make this world go around, you know, and it doesn't have to be all this negativity that's going on. Does that make sense?
2: The negativity is the emptiness, that spot that is supposed to be filled with purpose. When it's empty, it becomes toxic. I learned this very, very powerful lesson. I went to visit this kid in the psych ward, 14-year-old tried to kill himself along with his friends. And uh, he really wasn't interested in talking to a rabbi or to clergy. I tried to start a conversation. He he wouldn't even look up. Finally, he says, you can go home. The uh, chaplain
3: has already been here, the hospital chaplain. I said,
2: really? What did he say? He says, something stupid. I said, really, what What did he say? That was stupid. He said, I shouldn't kill myself because God loves me. I said, that's stupid?
3: He says, yeah.
2: I said, I agree. I
3: can't imagine God loves you. You're obnoxious. <laughs> then he looked up. That <laughs> got his attention.
2: Right. He says, yeah. I said, look, God created you. Obviously, he needs something from you. You're a piece of the puzzle. And only you can do that. So he's stuck with you. I don't think he likes you. He says, well, what if I don't want to do what he created me for? I said, okay, that's, that's called freedom of choice. You have the freedom of choice. You can say yes, you can
3: say no. But take a position. Have an opinion
2: and anyway, we didn't go get very far with that conversation I, as far as i know but going home i realized that i had just heard something really important see a 14 year old gets together with his friends and they decide to kill themselves what are they saying what are they expressing what are they demonstrating they're not necessary So they lived, they had some fun, they want to try something else. Why not? What's the difference? In other words, they felt unnecessary. So the guy comes to them, the chaplain comes to the kid and says, oh, no, 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 don't kill yourself. God loves you. It's not very subtle. He was basically saying,
3: yeah, you are unnecessary, but
2: God loves you that makes sense and in his in his precocious wisdom he said that's stupid to want to be loved when you're not even needed it's crazy it's crazy for me to say oh yeah
3: sure i'll hang around so that he can love me it's also crazy for him to love me why would he love me he doesn't even need me so
2: we've put love on top of the totem pole, and it don't belong there. People are running around desperately trying to find love, true love, unconditional love, and it's just frustrating because the love is built on nothing. Unnecessary creatures loving each other, making themselves feel good. It's empty.
3: Here's the amazing conclusion. I don't need anything. I really don't, because for all of history,
2: progress, civilization, scientific advancement, it all came from need. We invented a plow because we're going to starve if we don't.
1: Right.
2: You can't feed a family if you don't. So we invent the machinery we need. We invent the methods that we need. Why? Because otherwise you'll die. So not so long ago. Every father woke his son up in the morning and said, got to go to work, got to plow the fields, got to milk the cows. And the kid said, why? I said, Because if we don't get the seeds in on time. There'll be no crop and we'll starve and we won't survive the winter. Said, oh, OK. And he jumps out of bed and they go to work. That was almost all of history until modern times you imagine a father today waking his kid up saying get up get up if we don't go to work we're gonna die <laughs> what
1: <laughs> right they would look at him like what dad i think you drank something funny or something i don't know what you're talking about
2: nobody dies but not only that it's like let's go make food so that we have what to eat okay that kind of makes sense but no you got to go to kindergarten you're going to miss the bus to kindergarten. <laughs> why do I have to go to kindergarten? Well, because you got to get to school. I mean, why do I have to go to school? Because I got to get to college. Why do I get to college? Because I got to get a job. Why do I need to get a job so that I can buy some food? There's food in the pantry. We don't make food anymore. So now I got to wake up in the morning to go to kindergarten because otherwise we'll die. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't make any sense anymore. So it turns out that this motivation, doing everything we do because we don't want to die, it's not convincing anymore. The threat of death doesn't work. You notice people doing doing dangerous things, and they couldn't care?
1: Yeah. This might kill it. you. Exactly. Huh? They don't care about it.
2: Don't care. That doesn't work anymore. You can't tell people to work hard, otherwise, they'll die. And not because they're depressed. Right.
1: That's just the answer you're going to get nowadays.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's just not working. Right. And it makes sense. You want me to live my life so that I don't die.
1: That's why you reframe it as you need to work and and do your, you know, have your purpose because you are needed that way it makes more sense is what you're saying correct
2: it makes more sense because it's actually true that I don't need to be here so that's why philosophers have always been looking for the purpose of life why does life need a purpose nobody wants
3: to die so go get some food some shelter some protection but then you're going to die I'm not going to run
2: around protecting myself from dying. That's not a life. So give me something to do or I don't care. A psychologist, you go to a, psychi- a psychologist or psychiatrist, I don't understand life. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm depressed. What, is this, what does psychology do? Psychology looks for a deeper need than the one you're telling them about. You say you're discouraged and you, you, don't, you think you're a failure. That's not because you failed at business. It's because your mother never wanted you. So there's my problem. So thank you very much. <laughs> I came here to get rid of all my needs and you just added a huge one. Right. We got to go a little deeper than that. It's not that you have deeper needs. Get past that, where you have no needs. You have no needs
3: because the old threat you're going to die is not working. Then you have the religious threat. You're going to go to hell. I don't think that works anymore either, huh? Nope. (laughs) That's not working either because People are asking for sense. Help me make sense of life. I don't feel a need for this. Oh, but if you don't behave, you'll go to hell. You didn't answer my question.
2: I'm asking you, why am I here? And you say, watch yourself. You're going to go to hell. In other words, you don't have an answer. All you have is a threat. I'm not buying it. So to say you have to live well and behave properly, otherwise you'll go to hell. You're not answering my fundamental question. Why am I here in the first place? To avoid going to hell? What kind of life is that? I was born to avoid going to hell? Yeah, that
1: doesn't give me a sense of purpose. (laughs) You know, if you think about it.
2: No, then being born is a curse.
1: Right. Right. Right, because I'm only going to be born to go to hell. <laughs> you know, why am I even born then? So I, I'm learning so much today, uh, Rabbi Freeman. If that is, let me ask you this question: Is do you think that's why this this as they call them the millennials? Because I have three, four of my own. <laughs> are even though we try to teach them different, that you think that's why? Because the world doesn't show them that they're needed.
2: And look what happens when they find the need. Look what happens when somebody suddenly needs them. They become real, decent human beings. It's like teen, teen girls who get pregnant. All of a sudden, they're responsible. They're thoughtful. They're, they're careful. They're, they've got a purpose. But, I mean, that's a sad example, but, right. but it's so true. It's true, though. You find a purpose, and all of a sudden, all your depressions and all your fears and all your issues, they're gone. So this, this I think, is the future of,
3: of, of psychology. When we can liberate ourselves from all need, by even the most basic, well, I need to eat. Think about that for a second. I need to eat?
2: What is this, my idea? I didn't ask for this why am i dependent on food the same food the rabbit eats this guy was joking about vegetarianism (laughs) he says you think being vegetarian is good for the animals no now i gotta shoot the rabbit because he's gonna eat my carrots (laughs) (laughs) now we're competing for the same vegetables yes Do I want to be dependent on carrots and and cabbage and broccoli right? and spinach? This is not my
1: idea.
2: (laughs) If I designed myself, I would not need to eat every three hours. Correct. It's a handicap. Nothing to be proud of. And then sleep every day. What a waste of time. Who designed this? Not me. So is it correct to say I need to eat? As if this is my project? <laughs> this, is not my, this is not my project. Now, I have a handicap. I can't go without food. I can't go without water, and I can't go without sleep. Sometimes I resent it. I'm in the middle of doing something really meaningful and nope, gotta stop. Falling asleep. Right. What would be the correct way of saying, I need to eat?
3: No. Whoever designed me needs me to eat. It's an amazing thing because every time I
2: eat, I'm following God's plan. Because it's not
1: my plan. And that's a great perspective and a great way to look at it. Instead of, like you said, I, I need to eat. No, I want to eat and I will eat because God needs me to eat so I can fulfill my purpose in life. Right. And that's or the eating,
2: eating is part of that purpose for some divine reason.
1: Right. And sleep, like you said, I'm I've been the same way where I'm into something and you know, I'm trying to find it, and I'm like, what do you mean I gotta go to sleep? I'm just getting started, (laughs) you know. But your body tells you otherwise.
2: All Hmm. right. Like like the pilot in the middle of, the middle of a flight. Right. His time is up. He's got to go to sleep. So here, here's a beautiful example of it. This boy went to a rabbinical
3: school overseas. So, of course, when he arrives, he's a
2: 16-year-old boy. He arrives. He says to the dean, I, I need to call my mother. Which phone can I use? This was back in the olden days when you had to make a long distance phone call. Right. You know?
1: <laughs> right. I remember those days.
2: He says, I need I need to call my mother. Which phone can I use? And the dean says to him, I need to c-. The boy was shocked. Like, what are you, are you mocking me? He says, Yeah, I need to call my mother. And the dean again said, I need to call my so the boy was not a not a not a foolish boy, and he says, "My mother needs me to call her. Which phone can I use?" And the dean said, "Good, that's your first
1: lesson." That's that's an awesome lesson. What
2: sixteen-year-old boy needs to call his mother?
1: Come on, <laughs> none that I know of. It's the, it's the mothers that need them to call. Even well. Even rabbi, I'll tell you, even when I was, my mom passed when I was 48 or 49, I caught myself. I got to call. I need to call my mom. I need to call my mom. And she used to live with the traffic two hours from where I worked, right? Because traffic is that bad during rush hour. And she, and then I, it makes sense now because my mom would call me at 430 every other day it seemed like before she passed right and Max what are you doing and she knew I was at work right <laughs> and of course she would go well I know it's late but can 4 30 but can you come over my tv doesn't work and I'd go sure mom I'll be there right and I could be angry and like I'm sitting in traffic for two hours but of course when I get in the house I give her a hug and of course, this is what would happen. 99.9% of the time, oh, I fixed it. And then she'd go, do you want to go get something to eat? You know, and I, w- I would, now I understand what you say. That was her need to spend some time with me. And it was my, I mean, I love it now. I think about it, you know, and I miss her, but it was my, it was my need to, that was my way of thanking her for putting up with me during my addiction and never giving up. You know what i does that make sense? And it was my need. I need to drive out there and help my mom. So I'm, I'm totally understanding where you're coming from now. Like it's a new perspective for me. So thank you so much. It makes a lot of sense.
2: So what do we mean when we say I need to call my mother? Why, Why are you putting it that way? Why, why do you claim that it's your need when it's really her need? Positive spin on it is if she is waiting for me to call then i have to call her i can't leave her waiting she's sitting by the phone i can't do this to her so all of a sudden it's my need in other
3: words her need has become my need
1: that's beautiful right and that's a good thing
2: and that's how we're supposed to relate to god I need to be religious, I need to be moral, I need to be good, I need to serve God, believe in God. No, I don't. But if he needs me and he's waiting for me to do it, I can't, I can't ignore him, I can't say no. So all of a sudden, it's my need. But really, it's his need that has become mine. Now, that's a relationship.
1: And that's an awesome relationship if you think about it, if it works that way, which it has for me since getting sober. I understand now that what you just said, it took me a while to understand that. You know, when I first got sober, of course, I was angry with God, like it's his fault. I did all that, right? You know, like, this is your fault. You turned your back on me. And he's, and as I did the work and stayed clean and sober, I realized he said, no, I've been here all the time. I've been trying to show you, I need you back in my life per se. I'm glad you're back, and exactly, you know. So I have my morning talks with God, and you know, where I I do my praying, and then I do my listening, and I try to listen to what He needs for me for that day. This has totally been a, amazing. I've learned so much from you in the short time we've been together, Rabbi Freeman. So there's a couple of things I like to ask my guests because I wrote a book. I called it Fearless Happiness, uh, my addiction, my battles, and my recovery. So i like to ask the first part, fearless. What does fearless look like for you?
2: You know that public speaking is the biggest fear that human beings
1: have. (laughs) Yes.
2: Bigger than the fear of death. That's why this comedian says, you know what that means? You're more afraid of public speaking than you are of dying. That means that if you're at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy.
1: (laughs) That's a. I, that's the truth, though. I, I remember giving a eulogy for my brother, and ooh, that was a scary event for me. Or when I speak at a meeting, an AA meeting, I, I, I even if it's five people or a full room, I, I start wanting to sweat. and I want to hide. You know, I mean? can we time out? Can we do this another day? You're a, you're a spot on with that one.
2: If somebody asks you, "Will you do the eulogy for me?" Say, no, no, no. I'll die. You do the eulogy. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Oh man. Exactly. Public speaking was really the biggest hurdle. You no, know, I, you know, I, I, I was given a very good education, religious education. You know, the Chabad philosophy is awesome, and it's, and I wanted to share it. I'm not the one to do the speaking. So overcoming that was, actually, I was forced. School wouldn't take no for an answer.
1: Right. Oh, that was God probably saying, I need you to do this. (laughs) Please do it. Right? Yeah.
2: And then I discovered that I'm not good at anything else. So (laughs) I'm sure that's
1: not true. Yeah.
2: The only thing I'm good for, so I might as well do it full time.
1: So, uh, and the second question I like to ask my guests is happiness. And I put a why in the happiness for a reason. And I think, I, I, I believe you'll know why I did it. But what does happiness, knowing I put the why in there, mean to you?
2: It's a huge question. And everybody wonders about it. And everybody suffers. And they can't find an answer. We're being a little misled by the concept of Pursuit of happiness. Don't pursue happiness. It's going to kill you. The harder you run after it, the less you have of it. So, the more desperate you are to be happy, the more unhappy you're going to get. So, the way to approach happiness is by increasing your enthusiasm. Don't try to make happy, but you can increase your enthusiasm. So whatever you're doing, can can you be a little more enthusiastic about it? Just put in a little more energy. That's doable. And why would you put in a little more energy? Because you feel grateful. The key to happiness is gratitude. How do you get to gratitude? Enthusiasm leads to gratitude. But what leads to gratitude will produce enthusiasm. But what produces gratitude? the realization that I have more than I deserve. This entitled generation is an unhappy generation. Because no matter what they get, they think they deserve it. Now, if you're getting what you deserve, that's called justice. No cause for gratitude. You You put in an hour's work and they pay you for an hour. You're not grateful. Like, for example, if they don't pay you, are you ungrateful? <laughs> or are you outraged?
1: <laughs> right. It's <laughs> usually the outrage part.
2: What? Well, it's an injustice. Correct. So if they do pay you, then it's justice. But if you work for an hour and get paid for two hours, now you have a reason to be grateful. So gratitude comes from the realization that I'm getting more than I deserve. Why am I getting more than I deserve? Right.
3: Not because I'm bad, but because life is for free. Does anybody deserve being born? Oh, what have you done to deserve it? So the whole notion of deserving is kind of artificial, presumptuous. Who deserves? You deserve to be healthy? No. You deserve to be successful.
2: Why? There's no deserving everything is for free. Like, what do you owe your parents? Just
3: for giving birth to you. You owe them everything.
2: Because without being born, you got nothing. So just by the fact that they gave birth to you, you're indebted for the rest of your life because that was more than you deserve. So if we realize that we don't deserve what we get, we get it for free, then two things happen. First of all, I am a much happier person. When I get what I want, I feel grateful. When I don't get what I want, I'm not outraged. (laughs) I I don't deserve it. It's not like mine. Like, where is my success? Your success, like you know, like a kid who says, "I'm angry at my mother because she went into my room." Your room, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Are you paying rent or something? <laughs> right. <laughs> a much happier person. But then another thing happens, which gets us back to the original topic. Why am I getting all this for free, particularly when I didn't even ask? I didn't pray. I didn't ask. I'm not grateful even. I'm a really rotten kid, and yet I keep getting life and health and things for free.
3: Must be that somebody needs me. It's the only conclusion you can come to. So if we all started thinking that way, first of all, there would be peace on earth immediately. All war, competition, jealousy,
2: it all comes from feeling needy. I need what you have. I need more. Okay, we go to war. But if I don't need, I'm here because I am needed. I will not be part of the problem. I will be
3: part of the solution. So if everyone is like that,
1: you got a pretty nice world. And that's kind of part of my mission to help people think that way, right? Because there's a simple prayer sometimes, you know, even if I'm in a hurry, I always try to stop and, and have a little conversation with God. And, and it's just about bless me with what I need and save me from what I want, right? Because if I'm in that, I want, I want, I want, you know what that leads to. It's like, I, I'm that entitled, You know, God's looking down at me going, you entitled little brat, you don't want that. I have other plans for you. So, But when I stay in this, you know, and I've learned from you so much in this short time we're together and, and we'll end it soon, is that I don't need anything, but I'm needed to do my best on this earth and to, in my case, like I do with clients, you know, in the substance abuse field is help them find a purpose. So that they don't keep going back to doing drugs or alcohol, like I, like my mentors and my sponsor did for me. They helped me find a purpose, and then here I am, almost nineteen years later, and I'm talking to a wonderful man, Rabbi Friedman here, and learning. You know, like I'm, I love learning about people and and what drives them. So, thank you so much for for joining me today, and I know the audience is going to get so much out of this what i'd like to ask before we close out uh rabbi freeman is if people want you to speak or work with you how can they reach you
2: go online it's good to know.org it's good to know
1: i'll put that in the uh the podcast notes everybody so you hear that it's good to know.org so before we part what is one last piece of advice you would like to give my audience that would help them grow as a, as a human being?
2: Instead of trying to not be bad, just start being good. You don't have to fight your nature. You don't have to fix every flaw in your character. Get busy with good stuff. The nasty stuff will fade away. Thank you. It doesn't so deserve that kind of attention you're giving it.
1: Right. I, I don't know if you believe it, but I believe like when you focus your attention, even if it's negative, that's what comes out. Right. But if you like you said, if I focus on being a good person, that's going to grow. Correct. That's what I hear you say.
2: And, and and don't try to become a good person internally. Don't wait until you feel like an angel.
1: Do <laughs> you hear that, everybody? <laughs> right. Just start doing it. Start-
2: Yeah. Start doing good. And then it doesn't matter whether you're good. Don't make it about you because that's, you know, that's the can of worms you'll never get rid of.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know you have other appointments to get to. I appreciate you being here, Rabbi Manis Friedman. Everybody, listen to what he said. This is going to be an amazing episode. So thank you, sir, for joining me today. I hope you have a great day. And uh, hopefully we can do this again. If you learned something, everybody, please give me a review so people can find the podcast and listen to Rabbi. Friedman and learn something because I learned a
0: whole bunch today. The so, host thanks, of everybody, show, for joining Max us Lived in too. addiction for years thanks and made Max. lots of destructive they choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome. If it's PTSD or military related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness. And this is Max Naste.